Act One of Mithridates by Jean Racine, translated by Robert Bruce Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Introduction to Mithridates Mithridates appeared in 1673. None of the characters impress one with any very lively feeling. The struggle in Zephares between amorous rivalry and filial devotion is perhaps the nearest approach made to powerful treatment. The play has a tragic ending so far as the fate of the nominal hero is concerned, but the chief interest of the reader or spectator is centred in the mutual affection of Monima and Zephares, from the free indulgence of which all obstacles are removed by the final catastrophe. The closing scene, however, is one of sorrow and lamentation, in which the cry of, How are the mighty fallen, suffers no sound of rejoicing to be heard. The historical features of the character and career of Mithridates VI are in the main preserved, but Racine has complicated his relations with his sons by representing Monima as exerting an influence over them which is due to his own romantic imagination. Monima was in reality put to death by order of Mithridates to prevent her falling into the hands of his previous conqueror Lucullus. This was in the year BC 71, whereas his own death did not occur till B.C. 63. Dramatis Personae Mithridates, King of Pontus and of many other lands Read by Greg Giordano Monima, betrothed to Mithridates and already declared queen Read by Sonia Pharnassus, son of Mithridates Read by Jen Broda. Sepharis, son of Mithridates. Read by Tchaikovsky. Harabates, friend of Mithridates and governor of Nymphaeum. Read by Todd. Fidima, friend of Monima. Read by Wendy Katzhiller. Arcus, servant of Mithridates. Read by Joanna Michael Hoyt. Stage directions read by Alan Mapstone. The scene is laid at Nymphium, a seaport on the Chimerian Bosphorus in the Tauric Chersonesus, now the Crimea. Mithridates A Tragedy Act One, Scene One, Zephares Arbates we have received a true report, Arbates. Rome triumphs. Mithridates is no more. The Romans in a night attack surprised my father's wanted prudence near Euphrates. The conflict was a long one, but at last his army routed, left him on the field among the slain, and into Pompey's hand. A soldier, as I bear his sword and crown, delivered. Thus he who for forty years has baffled all Rome's bravest generals, and in the east with uniform success maintained the common cause of all her kings, dies, leaving two ill-fated sons behind, at variance with each other, to avenge him. You... And your brother, prince, 
and does desire to mount your father's throne, already make you a foe to Farnassus? Nay, at such a price I would not buy Arbates, the mere wreckage of an ill-fated empire. I respect his birthright and contend with the states assigned to me. We shall see without regret all that Rome's friendship promises fall ready into his hands. Rome's friendship with a son of Mithridates? Is it true, my lord? Aye, Farnaces has long at heart been a Roman, and now on Rome and Pompey rest his hopes, while I, more faithful to my sire than ever, still to the Romans vow undying hatred. But tis the least source of our strife that rises from his pretensions and my enmity. What other motive arms your wrath against him? I shall surprise you. This fair Monima, who won the king our father's heart, of whom my brother since declares himself the lover. Well, prince? I love her, and may my own passion, now that that brother is my only rival, doubtless you wonder at the words I speak. But tis no secret of a few short days. Long has this love of mine grown up in silence. How could I make you realize its ardor, my earliest sighs, my latest disappointment? But in the state to which we are reduced, tis no fit time to task my memory with the recital of an amorous tale. Let it suffice to justify myself that it was I who first beheld the queen and loved her. Ere the name of Monima had reached my father's ears, her charms had roused a lawful passion in my heart. He saw her and courted her, but with unworthy suit, deeming that she would prove an easy conquest, without presuming to claim marriage honours. You know how warmly he assailed her virtue, and weary of a long and fruitless struggle, absent but never parted from his passion. He, by your hands, sent her his diadem, judge of my grief, when tidings came that told, too truly of the purpose of the king, how Monima, his destined bride, had taken her journey hither under your protection. T'was then, ah, odious time, my mother's eyes were opened to the offers of the Romans, whether in jealous rage at these new nuptials, or to procure me Pompey's powerful favour. My father she betrayed and gave to Rome, the town and treasures to her care entrusted. How did my mother's crime affect my feelings? No more I saw a rival in my father. I thought not of the love his own had crossed, and had no eyes but for my father's wrongs. Soon I attacked the Romans, and my mother, distracted, saw me wounded to the death, recovering the place she had surrendered, and with my dying breath cursing her name. Since then the Euxine has been free, and so remains, from Pontus to the Bosphorus. All owned my father's sway. His fleet victorious found winds and waves its only enemies. More I would fain have done, I thought Arbates to march upon Euphrates to his rescue, when I was stunned by tidings of his death. But mingled with my tears, I will confess it, back to my thoughts came charming Monima. Entrusted by my father to your hands in these sad times, I trembled for her life, dreading that in his cruel jealousy the king, as oft before with many a mistress, might means have taken to secure her death. Hither I flew, and neath Nymphaeum's walls my anxious eyes encountered Farnaces, a sight I trow of evil augury. You received both of us, and know the rest. Hasty in all his actions, Farnaces, of his presumptuous wishes, made no secret, related to the queen my father's ruin, and since the king was dead, offered himself to fill his place, 
nor will his deeds fall short of words. I too will show what I can do. The love that bade me reverence a sire, to whom from childhood I have owned submission, this very love now rising in revolt, scorns the authority of this new rival. Either the suit I venture to advance must be by Monima herself rejected, or else whatever ill may come of it, she shall not be another's while I live. Thus I have told the secrets of my heart. With you it rests to choose the side you take. Which of us seems the worthier of allegiance? The slave of Rome, or Mithridates' son? Proud of her friendship, Farnaces no doubt thinks to command all here, and to dictate to me where I refuse to own his power. His heritage is Pontus, Colchis mine, and ever have the Colchian princes claimed this Bosphorus as to their realms belonging. Whatever strength I have is at your service. My choice is made already. I will do my duty, and the selfsame zeal and valor with which I served your father and maintained this place against your brother and yourself, now that the king is dead, shall aid your efforts against all foes. Had it not been for you, my certain death would, I know well, have followed your brother's entrance and my blood have stained these ramparts which he vainly sought to storm. As to the queen, you need not fear her choice, and for the rest, unless false shadows mock me, Parnassus soon will leave you master here, to reap elsewhere the harvest of Rome's bounty. Thanks, dear Abates. But I hear a footstep. Leave me, my friend. Tis Monima herself. Scene 2. Monima... Zephares. My lord, I come to you, for if today you help me not, then my last hope is gone. Orphaned and friendless, full of fears, forsaken, long called a queen, yet all the time a captive, a widow now, though never yet a wife, these are, my lord, the lightest of my woes. I tremble in your ears to breathe the name of my oppressor. But a heart so great will not, I trust, to ties of kindred blood between you, sacrifice the tears of grief. Ay, now you know his name. Tis Farnassis. Tis he, my lord, whose criminal presumption would by main force fast bind me to himself in wedlock, that to me were worse than death. <sighs> what baleful star must on my birth have shone? Destined to loveless union with another, Scarce am I free to taste a moment's peace when to a yoke yet heavier I must bend. Perchance more humble in my misery, I should remember that it is his brother to whom I speak. But whether reason prompts, or fate or hatred, that with him confounds the Rome whose aid he seeks, no marriage yet was ever more odious than the one I dread. And if I cannot move you with my tears, if I have naught to trust but my despair, at the same altar where I stand a bride, you shall see Monima, thus only freed from tyranny, fall, stricken to the heart, a heart that never was hers to give away. Madam, of my obedience rest assured. Here your authority is paramount. Let Farnaces, if so he will, elsewhere, make himself dreaded. But you know not yet all your distress. Oh. What fresh trouble then frowns upon Monima? If loving you is sin, not Farnaches alone is guilty. My crime is worse a thousand times than his. 
Yours? Reckon this the climax of misfortunes. Invoke the heavenly powers, if so ye must. Against a seed accursed, born to torment and persecute you, sire and sons alike, but however bitter the surprise with which you hear me own this fatal love, never could all your woes together reach the anguish of my efforts to conceal it. Yet think not that, like Farnaces, my brother, I serve you now to take his place hereafter. You would be free. I pledge my word you shall be, neither on Farnaces nor me dependent. But when your wishes have been satisfied, where will you choose the place of your retreat? In regions far remote or near my states? Shall I be suffered to escort you thither? With the same eye will you regard my homage and his oppression, flying from my rival. From me too will you fly? And for reward of faithful service, banish me forever? What is this you tell me? If advantage in time, fair monima, confers a right, here I assure you it was I who first saw and admired, resolved to make you mine. And when to my sire unknown your budding charms rejoiced your mother's eye and hers alone, if by my duty forced to quit your side, I could not all my ardent love display. Have you lost all remembrance of the grief with which I oft bewailed that sad constraint? Have you forgotten my last fond farewells at parting from the sight of your sweet eyes? My heart alone retains those memories. Confess that I recall a vanished dream. While far from you, and hopeless of return, I cherish still an unrequited love. You well content to wed my sire, scarce heaved a single sigh in sympathy for me. Alas! Did my distress one moment move you? Prince, do not mock me in my misery. Mock you, ye gods, when eager to defend you, daring to press no claim, asking for nothing. What shall I say then, when I give my promise to place you where you ne'er shall see me more? You promise what you never will perform. What? Will you not believe my solemn oath? Think you that I shall so abuse my power, and that I mean to curb your liberty? Explain yourself, I pray you. Someone comes, one word. Protect me from your brother's rage. To make me grant consent to see you, sir, you need not have recourse to tyranny. Ah, oh, madam. Prince, you see your brother comes. Scene 3. Monima Farneses Zipares. How long will you expect my father, madam? Fresh witness to his death arrives each moment to satisfy your doubt and chide delay. Come, fly with me from this delightless clime, whose savage aspect cannot but remind you of bondage hard. Obedient subjects wait you neath happier skies and worthier of your charms. Pontus has long acknowledged you her queen. Still wears your brow the royal diadem as token of your sovereignty and pledge of her assured submission to your sway. I, by my father's will, am master there, and tis my privilege to keep his promise. But trust me, time is pressing. Tarry not. Our marriage and departure must be hastened. Our common interests and my heart demand it. My ships are ready, waiting to receive you, and from the altar you may go aboard, queen of the seas that are to bear you hence. 
such kindness sir i find too overwhelming but since time presses and i needs must answer may i without disguise freely express the secret feelings of my heart you may and that without reserve to you i think my origin is known of ephesus a native but of royal ancestry kings were my sires or heroes whom erewhile greece for their virtues ranked higher than kings when mithridates saw me ephesus and all ionia crowned his prosperous arms this pledge of faithful love he deigned to send me my family presumed not to dispute his sovereign will a slave though crowned i went to be his bride as fortune had ordained while he in pontus waited to receive me new projects called him thence and he obeyed the summons to wage war against the romans sending me hither to avoid the storm i came and here i still abide my father paid dear however for that dangerous honour for the first victim of victorious rome was philopimen sire of monima a fatal title costing him his life it was to speak of that i wished to see you however justly moved to indignation i have no army to oppose to rome helpless i witness all her injuries no sceptre mine nor soldiers to avenge me only a heart to feel all i can do is to be faithful to my filial duty nor in my father's blood imbrue my hands by wedding you the sworn ally of rome why speak you thus of rome and her alliance why this suspicion and these words of anger who told you that the romans are my friends can you my lord deny that so it is how could you offer welcome as a queen to me where all the land is in their power did not a secret treaty with the romans smooth your way thither and secure your throne i might inform you of my purposes for which i have good reasons and could state them if leaving once for all these vain disguises you had explained to me your secret feelings but now long baffled i begin to gather the meaning of your manifold excuses i see an interest you would fain conceal another than a father prompts your speech whatever motive may inspire her words at least sir they deserve no doubtful answer nor should you your just resentment against rome one moment hesitate to burst in fury what after having learned our sire's disgrace slow to avenge him swift to fill his place shall we forget our honour and his blood we know that he is dead but he may lie unburied while your soul eager with hope dwells on the thought of hymeneal bliss this king whom all the east full of his feats may justly name her last and greatest hero in his own realms deprived of funeral rites or laid dishonoured mid a meaner crowd perchance accuses heaven's unjust neglect and two unworthy sons who dare not fight for vengeance why should we lurk longer here if any prince still free in all the world parthian sarmatian scythian loves his freedom there let us find allies and march beside them to live or die true sons of mithridates whatever love beguiles us let us think rather of rescue from a foreign yoke than of constraining hearts that will not yield he knows your feelings was i wrong fair lady your father and my fancied league with rome 
are but the pretext for a stronger reason. Her secret feelings are to me unknown, but if I thought like you that I could read them, I would submit my claims to their decision. You would do well, and I too know my duty. I am not bound to copy your example. Here know I none at least who may presume to shape his conduct on another model. So might you boast in Colchis, I admit. Here and in Colchis is my right the same. Not here, I ween, if you would scape destruction. Scene 4. Monima, Farnaces, Zipares, Fadima. Princes, the sea is all alive with ships, and soon, despite the tidings of his death, will Mithridates disembark in person. The king! My father! What is this I hear? Despatch boats have arrived to bring the news. Tis he himself, and prompt to pay due homage, our Batis goes to greet him ere he lands. Zephares to Monima. What have we done? Monima to Zephares. Farewell, prince. Wondrous tidings. Scene 5. Farnaces Zephares. Farnaces aside. The king returns. Ah, oh, cruel stroke of fortune. My life and love are both in jeopardy. The expected Romans will arrive too late. What shall I do? To Zephares. I know your heart is sore. I can imagine her sad words at parting. But this is not the time to speak of that. Cares more important task our thoughts today. The king returns, perchance implacable. More dreadful he, the more unfortunate. The peril is far worse than you suppose. We verily are guilty, and you know him, how rarely tenderness disarms his rage. His sons can have no more relentless judge as shown to two of them who died the victims of mere suspicion. We have greater reason to fear each for himself and for the queen. I pity her the more, the more he loves her, for amorous ardor piques his jealousy, and hatred ever far outstrips his love. Place no reliance on his past affection, his jealous fury will burn all the fiercer. Consider well, the favor of the army is yours, I speak not of mine own resources. Be ruled by me. Let us secure our pardon, make ourselves masters of this place, and so force him to offer to his sons such terms as they shall be contented to accept. I recognize my guilt, and know my father, my mother's crime besides have I to bear. But though my eyes are dazzled still with love, when comes my sire, I cannot but obey him. Let us at least be faithful to each other. You know my secret, I have read your own. The king, devising ever dangerous wiles, will turn our slightest words to our destruction. You know his way, how tenderness can mask deceitful hatred. Lead, and I will follow, since it must needs be so. But while submitting to duty, let us scorn to act the traitor. End of Act One